Hello, I'm Bentley. And I'm Truman. And this is the Review Podcast. Podcast. All right, today we're going to talk about an awesome video game that Truman just showed me because it's all about history. So an immediate interest for me. My confession is uh, I like to talk a little more about movies because it's an art form that I grew up with. And the video game stuff I paid attention to when Samuel and Truman were growing up. But because I had to protect my thumb for all of the different drawing that I did, I was always very clear that I would like... I would sing Duran Duran, Hungry Like the Wolf, but I would not do any kind of button mashing games. I liked watching them play it, but I never played video games. So I'm sort of aware of what they played, but he just showed me something that was so cool. So, Turbo, why don't you tell us about this game that came out about a year ago? Yeah, I, th- I think it came out a little bit over a year ago. It's called Battlefield 1. It's from DICE. Um, they've done games like Star Wars Battlefront. They just did the Star Wars Battlefront remake. They've done games Battlefield 4, Battlefield 3. Um, but this one is set in World War I. Um, and it comes out during the 100th anniversary of World War I. Um, so very topical. And uh, it's usually, it, it's never really been covered in this medium. It's not really talked about in video games. There was uh, one that was produced for the computer a little while back called Verdun, but it was produced by a very small development company. It's still in beta testing. Um, it's, it's very underdeveloped. And this is a major studio putting out a historical first-person shooter, and that hasn't been done since Call of Duty World at War. So this is something, this is kind of a step back towards what first-person shooters used to be, but in a new environment in World War One instead of World War Two. When you say Call of Duty World at War, was that set in World War One? I was set in World War Two. World War Two, um, right? Okay, so yeah. I'm vaguely familiar with all of the World War Two stuff, and of course that's a really big interest for our culture. We're always going to be doing World War Two stories in in movies and right. TV and, and video games. Right. But you're right to do something in World War One is really unusual. A lot of Americans don't know the details of World War One. But wasn't there another game where they actually made it? It was World War One, but it was like on a toy table? What was the one where you were basically playing a toy version of World War One? It was a video game. I don't recall no? that. All right, yeah. so that yeah. came out maybe five or six years ago. I don't remember the name of it, but it was yeah. kind of an interesting approach. Like, okay, we, we just really don't feel like we can fit the modern video game style to World War One, so we're going to have you play with, like, toy soldiers was right. what it was. <laughs> right. Well, I think it was framed as, like, a tower defense game, if I remember correctly. I, I, I know what mm. you're talking about now. I think it was just, like, some free-to-play tower defense game like Maybe. On, the, on the console. Um, Maybe. But, but this is interesting, and it's a big deal because this is the first... Uh, historical video game to come out in like six, seven years. You know, major, major publisher mm-hmm. and on the next generation of consoles. So this is for Xbox One and uh, P- PlayStation 4 and the PC mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So this is, this is kind of a step back towards that historical first-person shooter win, usually, and, and more so now, the Call of Duty series and stuff like that has gotten into sci-fi stuff. Yes, um, I was aware of that. Right. It has sort of moved forward right. into, you know, ray guns and stuff, which is fine. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, if you wanted a, a something that was kind of the texture of our world, you had the Uncharted stuff. You know, I mean, there was a lot of first-person stuff Definitely. that was adventurous, but you're right, nothing that was really based in right. our history. Well, and what's interesting is now, due to the success of this game... The Call of Duty franchise is now stepping back into World War II. That those pictures have been leaked and stuff like that actually very recently. But we're expecting the next Call of Duty game to be back in the awesome. World War II setting. So clearly, Dice did something right, and, and there's a clear uh, desire for it in the market. So um, here, here's the kind of the ignorant uh, parent 
view of this. So I actually had seen previews for this game that we're talking about in this podcast. Like those kept showing up in my Facebook feed, right? Because uh, you and your brother liked this game, so I would watch it. You know, and it was the same trailer being shown to me in my feed. You know, week after week, month after month. But you know what? That trailer was awesome. But because I have not played video games. Um, you know, I was like, okay, that's cool. But then there was also a little bit of distrust, right? Because you can always make a movie or a video game look good if you've got just that trailer, right? It was so action-packed, I think I thought to myself, yeah, well, you know, it can't possibly be that good. Well, And it was. Yeah, and, well, <laughs> it is that good. And, and it's because that trailer is actually using footage from the game. That's yeah. in-game footage. That's yeah. using in-game engine gameplay, um, which is really impressive. Um, the next-gen consoles can do a really incredible amount with graphics. And, and you were commenting on it as I was showing you this first mission that we played. I think it's called, like, Into the Mud or something. But it's the mission that pops up as soon as you load the game. Mm-hmm. This It immediately throws you into this. But you were commenting on it, like, the detail and the, mm-hmm. the amount of emotions they could they could show. And, and just, like, the grit and the grime and everything that was going on in this environment, in this 3D, 360 environment while you're playing the game. You know, there's stuff going on in the background all the mm-hmm, time and, and mm-hmm. just all the texture that they have and all the little details that are, and historically accurate as well. Right. Historically accurate details, like uh, the way the trenches were set up and stuff mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm. So it really is, you know, if you have a big TV and you turn off the lights, it's a very, like, full immersion. <laughs> right. You know, this is a this is a hard-hitting, like, intense, you know, this is a full immersion kind of game. Um, so that's actually why I think this is a good thing. Uh, for parents to know about, for for people, for gamers to play, even if they're not, uh, they don't consider themselves history buffs like you and I are, because I have actually addressed this question in my own work. Right. Right. I mean, I'll get the question all the time, like, okay, so you're drawing comic books about history. How accurate are they really? Of course. And my first answer is, well, you know, there really wasn't a talking crab, you know. <laughs> but but my my whole pitch is. You've got to give some juice to get people interested in the story. And so when I watch what you just showed me, I mean, you know, I don't know of a single time that a dirigible caught on fire and crashed on the battlefield, right? That would have been a very dramatic thing. And a huge deal. And a huge deal. Well, you just showed me a scene where that happens, but I'm okay with it because even if it didn't happen and if even if they're crushing all these things together to make a really dramatic gameplay... I'm okay with that as a historian because you're right. The there were dirigibles, and I want people to know that. Right? Uh, they did put uh, wooden planks through the terrific landscape, mile after mile after mile of mud. I mean, that was a great example of how the lines just didn't move. The fact that they could build infrastructure on this battlefield and they were fighting over the same two or three miles for years—just ridiculous. And you see those planks in the mud in this game. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. And, and of course, there are plenty of compromises on historical accuracy at times. Yeah. Um, you know, your, your character's running around with submachine guns and stuff, <laughs> or, or weapons that, yes, they were invented and they did exist during that time, but they're incredibly rare and they're late war and they're right. not reliable and they're not right. widespread like they are in this game. So you, you make those compromises for effective gameplay and, and interesting gameplay and engaging gameplay when... when gamers and, and, and kids are used to r- being able to run around and shoot whatever they want whenever they want. <laughs> right. um, so but, you make these compromises. You know, that's why you're never going to see a Civil War video game, you know, because Well, they've tried. Gonna, well, they, they did make one a long time ago, but it was rather rather bad. So the you History know, Channel 
you know, right, made. Right. The History Channel does not should not produce video games. <laughs> well, I'm just gonna go on the record saying that the, the History Channel should not produce video games. And they we love you guys, a, but right, and they produced a Civil War video game, but you know, you have this muzzleloader like a you know a Springfield or an Enfield or whatever, and you and you load it in like two seconds. You know, yeah. like you you fire a shot and it just shows your character like put it on the ground and pick it back up, and you're like, all right. So, you know, that's why you're never Because it takes that. you uh, 16 seconds? How fast do you reload? You're supposed to be able to do it in 20 seconds. 20 seconds. Truman can reload it in 20 seconds when he's doing his reenacting. So. Yeah, so, you know, World War One is kind of right on that edge of this is the first really modern war. You know, this, Or at least this is something that catapults us into modernity. You know, you yes. have uh, airplane, com- yep. you know, yep. combat in the air for the first time. You really have the first... Real use of tanks. Tanks. Um, machine guns become to play a gigantic role. And um, they showed that the Germans had flamethrowers. A lot of people right. don't know that flamethrowers did exist in World War One, but they yeah. did, and they're in this game. And they're scary as hell. Um, <laughs> you died once. Died just walking up to the guy. And yeah. He was like, okay, you're crispy. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, that's right on the edge of where they can make that compromise between, like, accuracy slash you can still you know, have these modern weapons that you can still, like, identify with and be like, oh, okay, that's a submachine gun. That's right, a right. machine. You know, uh, I can I can shoot as, as long as the, you know, day is, so. <laughs> um, and I got to say, you know, anybody who listens to this podcast will hear me say that as cool as some of these visual details are and the gameplay itself, I'm always looking at the writing. And there was a line in just this opening sequence that really made me happy. That So there's a, you know, as you die and move to the next character in this opening sequence, you hear the character talk. Right. And there was a line about the world is the war. And the war is the world. And the war is the world. I mean, I just thought that was beautiful. Yeah. There's a lot of good writing in just this scene beyond right. that line, but that right. line really caught me. Well, and this, this scene is kind of carried by this, this omniscient narrator that you have. Um, and it's really interesting because almost always in a video game you're going to be playing as one protagonist the entire way and if you die you just respawn you know at a that, checkpoint that person, at a checkpoint yeah. and you and you go back and you start over again and you try to do it again because you're supposed to be the protagonist you know you're telling this person's story and they they don't die at any point you know they're supposed to make <laughs> right. it through this entire tale whereas in this opening sequence you jump from person to person as you die and it even opens like the last line they, you know, this is the introduction to the game. So there's a couple lines of text at the beginning, and the last one is, "This is a simulation of frontline combat. You are not expected to survive." Yeah. So I think that's a great mechanic. Yeah. Absolutely it's, fantastic. Yeah, and and each time you die, um, and this is kind of driven home later on as well. But each time you die, it gives you a name and their birth date and their death date. Yeah. In 1918, so you know, I'd say like Fred. Fred Glenn, um, 1888 to 1918. And they, and they reiterate that later with that narrator at, at one point. Again, one of the breaks is that, you know, behind all 60 million men that fought in this war is a story. Right, you exactly. Know, so each to person me, is their own individual. Here, here's me, uh, the grown-up geeking out. I used to drag you guys to museums all over the place. And the modern version of a history museum uh, when you walk through is they will show you real people, individual people who fit into the larger narrative, whether it's Valley Forge or the Battle of Gettysburg, you know, they will pick out individuals that you as the visitor in the 21st century can kind of be like, oh, look, that was a real person who was a nurse. And this game feels like they're doing the same thing. I don't think these guys that they point out are real because, you know, as they die, you move to the next one. But it has that feel. So, parents... If you feel like it's a cool thing to go see a museum, 
uh, with your kids, then you should actually pay attention to this game. It's got a really good feel. Uh, I would like yeah, you, Truman, to tell us a little bit more about some of the different sequences of the game. Uh, I liked the opening map where you could see just how big a war it was. Because most Americans, right. you know, we know about the trenches, right, through France and Belgium. But, of course, a lot of other stuff was going on, and you can see that in this game. Yeah, definitely. So this is this is talking, we're all talking about the campaign here. Yeah. Um, and the way they set up the campaign is not one consistent narrative tale, but it is six different what they call war stories. It opens up and it's this map of Europe and the Middle East, like the top of Africa mm-hmm. um, and the Middle East, and you can jump around to these different spots <laughs> and select different war stories to tell. So they have one that's focused around... It's this opening. You can play that opening. One is focused around tanks. You're a, you're a British tanker mm-hmm. in the French front line. There is one where you're a pilot. Um, you're a biplane pilot, also on the Western Front. There is one set in Turkey um, with the invasion, mm-hmm. and you're an Australian. Yeah. You're the Australian. Gallipoli. Yeah, it's the invasion of Gallipoli, and you're the Australian general. I forget his name, um, but you play almost as a first person as kind of the commander of this force. And then you can do uh, Lawrence of Arabia. So, yeah, there's a lot. Oh, and there's also stuff in Italy. I forgot that for a second. But there's fighting mm-hmm. in the in the Alps. Yes. In the Italian part of the Alps. Yeah, like, it, had a, it had a nice name, like, you know, Battle yeah. in the Sky or something. Yeah, it, it's, yeah. it's incredibly well done. Um, and, and it shows you how there are so many different aspects of this conflict. Um, and each time you select one, it's, you know, it's not... The same character in a different place somehow, um, <laughs> which which many which many games do, and they tell one story all the way through. But this is six individual stories, different times in the war, different places, different mm-hmm. aspects of the war. So they're really trying to give you this kind of full view of it. You know, they're trying to give you the whole view of, or, or at least snapshots of what is occurring in World War One all the time. And that's more accurate. As much as I love Indiana Jones, you know, the the idea that one guy gets to all these places so easily is, you know, it's fiction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. World War One involves fifty million people, uh, when you consider the civilians involved, uh, the total death toll, I mean it's millions and millions and millions of people. So it's not gonna be one guy jumping from place to place. Yeah, no, definitely not. Yeah, it, it's it's just very well done. What are some it, of the things takes, that you like when you're in the game, when you're playing it? What do you like as a gamer? Because that's what um, I don't I Right. Don't as a gamer, I mean, it feels great. It looks great. You know, it's, it's hard to mess up FPS controls. Uh, you know, the, the formula has been there for so long. Um, it's just kind of what formula you fit into. The Battlefield series has a long reputation of being incredibly, incredibly uh, accurate and immersive. So what's really cool is about the Battlefield series and DICE as a studio is they use the Unreal Engine. Um, which is a, a engine for in which the game runs, mm-hmm. and what's cool about this engine is that everything's fully destructible. All the environments are like fully <laughs> not. I shouldn't, say, but like the environments are constantly being affected by the actions you're yeah. taking. Oh, in yeah, oh yeah. So there are these massive like when you're playing the Lawrence of Arabia time uh, or, uh, story, I should say, war story. Um, you're not playing as Lawrence himself, but you're playing as one of the. Be- Arab Bedouin fighters sure, sure, that sure. is riding around and doing subterfuge stuff and insurgency Ghosts stuff. Ghosts of the desert. Yes, exactly. I think that's what it's called. Ghosts actually. of the desert. Ghosts of the desert is the is the name of the mission, and you're you know you're doing insurgent work essentially. There's like three different small towns in this giant open map, um, and you have to go to each different town and like you know plant explosives one place and mm-hmm. cut telegraph wires another mm-hmm. place mm-hmm. and and this engine just 
everything's being affected by everything all the time. Like a sandstorm will come in during the fight and stuff. It's it's really cool. It's all wow. a very dynamic environment that you wow. always feel that you're you're being impacted by slash impacting yourself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's really cool and that's satisfying as a gamer to see that your actions have consequences. Um, and, and I know that's a you know that's one of the big debates about shooting games, right? It's like you know, does this desensitize people to oh, violence and stuff sure. like that? Right, right, um, right. But I think the stress of this game is that war is terrible, and that's yeah, and that's that message is loud and clear at many points. And, and while it is a fun game to play and run around and, and shoot people in this environment, you know, it's it's still there's a stress. And in each war story, um, you know, I showed you that first one, and it clearly has a very pessimistic like yes. tone towards war, and it's very yes. negative, and it and it it ends with this you know ray of light coming down on one German and one American soldier who drop their weapons and walk away from each other Right. after all the carnage. you know. So it ends on this positive note of peace. Um, but in each individual war story, there's often a message of, you know, that war is hell. Well, and it's terrible. And, you know, so I, I don't know. It sends a good message instead of these Call of Duty games, which are just like, yo, let's blow up the world three times right. and see what happens. Right, you know? right, which I'm concerned about. I can already start to see kind of that mentality. Like, I am not against video games, but that mentality of right. I'm Superman. I can just play through this forever. Right. Respawn and all that. You know what? I'm starting to see that kind of seep its way into your generation's adult life. Right. Right. Like at some point you've got to work with other people. You've got to come up with a solution that isn't blowing things up. So we'll see. We'll see how it shakes out. But before we get to that ray of light in the opening, one of the deaths is really realistic and completely pessimistic, right? So you talked a few minutes ago about how it's awesome to have kind of this first modern war where you have these certain tools. But guess what? That means you also die in a very impersonal way. Right. right. I mean, this is the first war. This, the American Civil War, you could die from artillery. It's, it's true. But, you know, this is where you could just be, like, thinking, okay, we're making progress, and I'm moving forward, and all of a sudden, there's this artillery barrage. And in this game, they're showing it, and, and the way they would work artillery in World War One was they would march it forward. Right. And it was just this wall of fire coming down. And you, there's nothing you can do. You can't run away from it and jump over it. I'm jumping up. And over the artillery barrage. No. <laughs> Truman's playing this, and all of a sudden it's do 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 you're dead. Yeah. That's it? Yeah. No, it's incredibly well done. And the little details like that are, are really cool um, with the way they work that. So uh, we've talked about uh, the stuff you like playing in it. It's interesting to me that it's called Battlefield 1, that they didn't actually reference the Great War or anything in there. I think that's kind of well, a mark. Well, the 1 is supposed to be. I got you. Right. So but, the, I mean, like, so the series... Ameri- okay, go ahead. The, the series, um, in the past, um, they did, like, it was just called Battlefield, and there's Battlefield 1, 2, 3, 4. Mm-hmm. So when they announced Battlefield 1, it's supposed to be Battlefield World War 1, essentially. You know, you should, yeah. you should, put, in, you should put in, like, scare quotes, World War World War, like between the right. battlefield and yeah, one. I agree. Um, I so agree. yeah, it's just supposed to to be that. But, but they really kind of undersold that this was World War One because uh, my view is that they probably did that because Americans just don't know a lot about World War One. So I think this is on par with that BBC series that you showed me about yeah, the, our World War. Our World War, which is if you like Band of Brothers or the Pacific, you want to check out Our World War. It's on Netflix. It's on Netflix for all you millennials. And it's only three episodes, but it's got that same uh, level of detail and great storytelling that you would see in Spielberg and Hank's Band of Brothers. Well, yeah, definitely. And and what's really cool, kind of like the war stories in this game, is it takes 
it is a BBC production, and it's it's a it was released in 2014, right at the 100th anniversary of the mm-hmm. Star War. Mm-hmm. So it is three different tales of British soldiers fighting, because yep. yep. this is you know released with a British audience in mind. Right. But like the war stories in Battlefield One. It is a snapshot of three different times during the war and three mm-hmm. different situations of British soldiers. So like the first one, which is my favorite, I think, by far, the first episode is this small part of the British expeditionary force that comes over to try and defend um, and, and slow down the German advance. Mm-hmm. And they're just holding this one bridge. Oh, and it's, yeah. it's yeah. just a story of this small British detachment that's trying to hold this one bridge against this massive German force. Um, and in this battle, you know, there was like... Uh, 10 of the highest medals in the British Army that can be awarded. The Victorian mm-hmm. Cross, I think, right? Mm-hmm. It's the Victorian Cross, and there's like 8 or 10 Victorian Cross recipients in this battle, historically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's really cool to... And, and it is like Man of Brothers or something like that. Um, you know, they, they the filmography is fantastic. And what I've seen in this video game is it's right on par with that. So I'm, re- I'm recommending that people not only see that series on Netflix, yeah. but play this game. So at this point, I imagine you could find this game used... Yeah, no, yeah, easily, easily. Okay. Do you yeah. have a lot of friends who play this game? A decent amount, yeah. So they're usually kind of um, there is some overlap between those that play the Call of Duty series and the people that play the Battlefield series. There's a good amount of overlap, but there are mm-hmm. also a lot of people that are strictly Battlefield players or strictly Call of Duty players. <laughs> okay. Um, so because of the way the multiplayer works, and, and that's yeah. kind of a different thing. But the Battlefield multiplayer requires a lot more teamwork, which mm-hmm. is really interesting. You know, it requires strategy and teamwork. Um, you can't just be whatever you want and go off on your own and, and just right. shoot the other team. You actually have to work together to achieve objectives, which is really cool. Um, and it's it's way more engaging to me as a player who, you know, growing up and, and still now, I love real-time strategy games. I love tabletop wargaming. You know, mm-hmm. I, I like that bigger picture. I like having to, to work together to achieve an objective because that just feels more real. That's the real. way it works. Yeah, that's it's the, the way, way it works. works. Um, and it feels more engaging to me as someone who's consuming this. So... This multiplayer is really interesting, and it still gives you that kind of big World War One massive conflict kind of feel because mm-hmm. they set it in mm-hmm. certain environments where, like, you know, you are going over the top and stuff, and it, it's yeah. really, it's really awesome. Yeah. So, have they announced any kind of a sequel to this yet? Um, no, they? not to that. They're currently working on Battlefront Two, Star Wars Battlefront Two. Oh yeah. So okay. They're going to come out with the next Battlefront installment. So, and it looks awesome. The trailer just got released. <laughs> um, so I'm sure well we can do another podcast oh, yeah, we on the Star Wars Battlefront games when those oh, come out. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But yeah. so and you don't really think we'll ever get to like a game of this caliber for the Civil War? Doubt it. In- yeah. Highly, highly doubt it. Because um, that's know, also Napoleonic tactics. There's not a lot of running right, around. Right. So I can you're, see you're just lining up. Right. So I can see like <laughs> once VR technology gets up there, like oh. an incredible like VR. Civil War game, but mm. until you can really get that full immersion into that environment, that's not going to be engaging for a player in mm. many ways. They're just not going to feel the intensity okay. that is present there. I mean, like, you know, if you get out in the field and do it, like with my reenacting, like you're able to feel <laughs> yeah. that, but you're able, you know, it's engaging to you all the time because you're in that environment. It is incredibly intense and you scary You can smell the smoke. Yeah, exactly. And in many ways, this environment is constantly stimulating, constantly engaging to the player. The one and you're the always, World War I Correct, the World War One is. You're, you're always doing something. You're always having yeah. to fight someone else or always having to move on. And in the Civil War, that's that's just not happening as much, you know? Yeah. There's right. going to be two two regiments in front of you that are making contact with the enemy right now, and you're just going to stand there and wait, you know? You're waiting. That's yeah. not, that's not going to be engaging to a player. <laughs> and and no. in many ways, like, <laughs> that Civil War combat for an individual is them going up onto line 
fighting for about 45 minutes, running out of ammo and falling back. Yeah. If they it. survive. If they so survive. like, yeah. you know, that's not engaging to a player to just do that over and over again. Right. There's very little because, hand-to-hand combat. Right. And you can't see the, yeah. you can't see the grand scheme of things too right. in, in that environment. Right. In the World War One game, you can see like all your, all your squad mates and your, your buddies, your team, like moving towards an objective and fighting over this yeah. one bunker or fighting over church. this There's one this church, church or hill. Um, but in the Civil War, you know, you look to your right and you look to your left and there's just lines of blue or gray. That's it. Yeah. And then you can't, you know, it's like, oh, we're moving towards that clump of trees or that hill. <laughs> you see, you know, yeah. so I, I, I highly doubt, and not even to mention just the actual mechanics of having to work with that kind of weaponry. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. like the, the Civil War game that was produced by the History Channel um, way back when. You know, they had Gatling cannons at Fredericksburg. Like, give me a break. You know, like they, they did that to try and engage the player. And uh, that just, yeah, it just, so, I, I highly, highly doubt you'll ever see mainstream, I, yeah, I big, big production Civil War game. Because this, I mean, the video game industry is like the movie industry now. Yes. In many ways. Yes, yes it is. And it's developed in such a way that, like, these are multi-million dollar projects to yes. produce these games. Yep. Like tens of millions of dollars, and years if of not work. hundreds, yeah. years of work, years of work and development, and several teams working on them. You yeah. know, mm-hmm. and and they are, and especially Dice puts a lot of love. They put a lot of TLC into their games. Oh, they, yeah. they really, they really go in depth. Like for their Star Wars game, they went into the Star Wars archives and like mm. scanned. 3D models oh. of stuff so wow. that they could put it into their engine. Nice. It's really cool. They did a lot of a lot of work on it. Well, um, and so that's sort of what, how I do it, right? I don't mash the buttons. I watch Samuel and Truman play as if I'm watching a movie. That's exactly what it feels like to me. So you can do that. Um, and we should wrap up here by referencing a joke that your brother sent to me just today <laughs> that was a screenshot... Uh, and it, it was, you know, a meme on Reddit where uh, somebody said that their teacher was like, wow, how do you know so much about World War II? And the screenshot was of? It was of, I think, Call of Duty 3 where they're doing the Omaha landing. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, them, <laughs> yeah. it's them in the landing craft going towards the beach. <laughs> um, so my hope is that someday, you know, a professor will be like, wow, how do you yeah. know so much about World War One?" Yeah. You know, this is an effective teaching tool for middle and high schoolers as well. Absolutely. If, if you're okay with them, you know, playing this M-rated game. This is an incredibly I, engaging medium. I think so. To to con you know to get through to them because you know, yeah. So, so many students now in this this digital age struggle with processing information through a textbook or in a classroom. Correct. And like, you know, you produce comic books to try and engage them, and and this is another way to try and break through to them Absolutely. and get to them and, and say like history is still cool, history is still relevant, and this is why. Um, I'm a big fan of it. I just don't happen to do it uh, because it's yeah. you know it's too technical for me to produce for yeah. one thing, and for me to play would distract from the work I do do. Right. But so I started this business of comics about history 14 years ago, and at that point it was teachers my generation buying it for your generation, right? right? And it was great. I'm proud to say that some people have gone through grad school now as history majors uh, because they were inspired by Chester Comics. But now here's the next generation. I think we've got teachers now who are starting to use video game vernacular to teach the next generation. And I'm really cool with that. Right. And video games can still tell incredibly interesting, unique stories, Mm -hmm. too, through that medium. Um, You see that in the war stories. In this game, you're telling engaging stories that they might not... You know, I would... Put five dollars that no high school senior or, or one in every ten high school seniors knows about the Battle of Gallipoli. Right, without exactly. playing this game. Exactly, um, and at this point, so I 
watched the movie Gallipoli, right? I mean, it was considered important to watch for my generation growing up in the 80s, right? Mel Gibson, one of his first really big starring roles. Uh, And it's an interesting movie, but you know what? If I had to choose at this point between uh, Truman playing this game and watching the movie Gallipoli, I'd have him play this game. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, the graphics are a little bit better, too. <laughs> it, looks a little, it looks a little nicer on the modern looks, HD looks screen. Looks a little nicer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, so that was a lot of fun. So everybody go out and buy... Battlefield 1. Battlefield 1. Or just watch videos on YouTube. <laughs> you don't want to spend the money. Thank you very much for spending time with us. I am Bentley. I'm Truman. And this has been the Review Podcast. Podcast.